Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Today, we're going to play you a recording that I made last year for a men's group that we recorded through Zoom, and it's a talk on the issue of forgiveness. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 18, and Jesus is telling of the parable of the unmerciful servant. Thank you for inviting me to come and share with you. And um, the thing we're talking about this morning is forgiveness. And um, there's a lot to say, so let me get right into our passage. I'll be looking at Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, and that starts in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw that this had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Before I was married, uh, I lived in a house with two roommates. One was a Christian and the other was a non-Christian. And I wonder if you can guess who I had more difficulty getting along with. Uh, It was my Christian roommate, strangely. He was the type of guy who would go on his own way with no regard for anyone else in his path. He would just blow by and then apologize later. That was his model. And he and I had lived together 10 years previously when we were at college together. And and I knew his attitude towards things, but I assumed that he had changed, that he had grown up, that he had gained maturity, but I was wrong and he was almost worse somehow. Paying rent on time became a massive ordeal. If we were going to meet up somewhere, that became almost an impossibility. He was never trustworthy. And finally, he had done something that really put us at total odds with each other. And I was going to withhold forgiveness from him because I was honestly just sick of it. I couldn't deal with it anymore. 
Even though he had apologized in his sort of smiley, smug manner, I had resolved to actually not forgive him. Uh, And then, as is often the case in my life, I heard a sermon on forgiveness that totally crushed me, and it really convicted me. And so I did forgive my friend, as hard and difficult as that was. The shocking thing about this parable of the unmerciful servant is that the person that ends up being tortured for eternity is not offender, but a victim. I don't know if you noticed this. The man who was wronged ends up being tortured in the end. It's a frightening story uh, because Jesus says, this is how it will be at the end of time. And it shows us one of the most powerful evangelistic tools in the world. Now, let me give you some context for this passage, this Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is setting the tone for life in his church where the smallest are honored and protected. Sinners are treated as lost sheep to be found and as brothers to be reclaimed. And finally, forgiveness flows freely and constantly to those who repent. This is a picture of Christ's church. Verse 21, we have a question. Verse 22, we have an answer. Then a long parable that drives home the answer. The preceding verses deal with what happens when a Christian sins and persistently will not repent despite many appeals and many pleas. But the problem that begins this passage is what happens when they do repent. And in some ways, that is even harder. What happens if I hurt you, I I wrong you in some way, and you see me and tell me face to face, and I do repent, uh, and I say I'm sorry, and I ask forgiveness, and I do what I can to put things right, and you forgive me, uh, and then I do it again, and I'm repentant, and again, and I'm repentant, and again, and I prove myself to be a really difficult member of any sort of Christian fellowship, or for that matter, a Christian marriage, because I persistently fail and hurt others. And I am tactless, and I am insensitive, and I am selfish, but I am so repentant. Each time I fall, I am sorry. I am sorry in my heart, and I turn from my sin, and I ask for your forgiveness. What then? That's Peter's question in verse 21. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Now, there's a parallel passage in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, where Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says to you, I repent, forgive him. But what are the limits to offered forgiveness assuming there is repentance? In some ways, this is harder than if he doesn't. 
there is something satisfactory about uh, uh, pushing through the process of verses 15 to 17. Uh, if I have been sinned against, there is some sense of when that door is finally shut and the offender is thrown out, there is some sense that he had it coming to him, didn't he? We don't want to admit that we feel like that, do we? But that's exactly how I felt when my friend who had hurt me. There's something in us that wants to say, well, at least now everyone can see that I was in the right. He was in the wrong. He got what was coming to him. But if he repents, well, of course I must forgive him. The first time, and maybe a second time, and I suppose to make the point, a third But after that, you have to believe that his repentance isn't genuine, no matter what he says, right? Isn't that right? I cannot go on forgiving over and over and over. Peter says, how about seven times? He may have heard Jesus teach that in Luke chapter 17. And seven is a good number. It's the biblical sign for completeness. It doesn't seem a bad suggestion. And Jesus says to him, verse 22, I do not say seven times to you, but 77 times. I don't mean seven as an exact number, but rather a number that means on and on and on. You see, 77 is how revenge works. In Genesis chapter 4, where Cain kills Abel because of the perceived wrong done to him, And later in the chapter, one of Cain's descendants, a man called Lamech, he boasts to his wives in Genesis 4, verse 24, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Meaning, you think Cain's revenge for his wrong was bad? Wait until you see what I do when I am wronged. I would hate to be Lamech's enemy or possibly his wife. That 77 is how revenge works. It always had. When Julius Caesar was captured by pirates and they demanded a ransom, he swore that he would hunt them down and have them killed. And soon after his release from their captivity, he did just that. He hunted them down. And that's how it has been, right? That's how the world works. You offend me, I find a way to hurt you worse. If you have ever seen The Godfather, you see how this plays out when they ask, uh, where have all the young men in this Italian village gone? And the answer comes, all the vendettas have taken the lives of all the young men. The more might, the more out of proportion my response is. The more I can boast with Lamech that I am a man to be reckoned with. Those to whom evil is done do evil in return. Every kid in the playground at school knows that system, as long as kids are allowed to play in the playground, which doesn't seem to be the case anymore. But professing Christians can get sucked into the same cycle of retaliation. I can tell you those thoughts have run through my mind a time or two. And Jesus picks up that 77 word, that idea, and he says, I want the church to be the place where the world's disproportionate retaliation is turned upside down and becomes crazy, disproportionate forgiveness. And at the end of the parable that we are about to look at, Jesus says at the end, verse 35, this is not just a nice ideal. 
It's not an optional extra credit for good disciples. Jesus says, unless this characterizes your life, my heavenly Father won't forgive you. You won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. These are the words that shook me to my core when I thought I could withhold forgiveness from my roommate. So we should listen to this. Okay, so what's happening here? What dynamic is at work to make this unbelievable forgiveness possible and necessary? What is the point of the parable? And it is a ridiculous parable in a way, as parables sometimes are, to make a point. Verses 23 to 27, and Jesus says, Let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like in my Father's kingdom. There's a king who calls in his servant, maybe someone who has started a a small business, someone with an entrepreneurial spirit, and they borrowed money from the king to start their company. And now it's time to pay. And how much does he owe? 10,000 talents. Now, this is important for perspective because we read Old Testament language, New Testament language, and and, um, currencies, and we have no idea what they mean. Someone worked it out that 10,000 talents is equivalent to $6.5 billion today in U.S. currency, or about 200,000 years of labor. So again, it's ridiculous. It is an absolutely astronomical, impossible, enormous debt. But we need to understand that part of this parable. Okay? Pay your debt. I'm sorry, but I can't pay you right now. Well, you and your family will have to be sold into slavery. And so the servant falls on his knees, be patient with me, I'll pay you everything, even though that was not possible. He cannot pay this debt back. And surprisingly, in verse 27, the master takes pity and forgives his ridiculously astronomical enormous debt. Not having to pay any of it. Forgiven. He's released Later that day, our forgiven servant, while walking down the street, he sees a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. Now, I think we need to be clear, this is not just pennies. Uh, someone's worked it out once again, and the figure is about, it'd be equivalent to about 10,000 U.S. dollars today. Except that the debt that he has just been forgiven is about 60 to 100 million denarii. By comparison, it's more than half a million times less. But he sees him, and he grabs him, and he chokes him. Pay me back. I need the money. Perhaps this servant wanted to prove to the king that he could still pay his debt. Uh, His fellow servant falls on his knees, just as he had done with the king. Almost identical situation to his. In fact, the same words, be patient with me, I'll pay you. But this time, it's actually more realistic that he would pay him back. And yet, he refuses to listen. And he has this servant hauled off to prison. After all, he is the victim. He's the one that's owed this first servant. And the other is the offender who owes him and won't or can't pay him back. The other servants see this and are greatly distressed. And so they tell the king and the king summons the first servant in again. You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And the king hands him over to the jailers 
And the word really means torturers. Their job was to, to make a debtor's life miserable until he paid the debt, which, of course, will essentially never happen in this man's case. And then Jesus concludes in verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Well, we would expect Jesus to say, well, that was a very terrible and extreme story, and you must understand that my Father is not really like that. But instead of distancing God from the king in this story, Jesus identifies him with the king. And he says that the same heavenly Father who in verse 10 cares for the most insignificant believer, and in verse 14 that it's not his will that one of these little ones should be lost, that same heavenly Father will deliver the unforgiving man or woman to the torturers forever. (laughs) It's a crazy parable, is it not? In a way, we shouldn't be shocked by the conclusion because the man's behavior was obviously outrageous. We're reading this and we're thinking, of course he deserved to be punished based on his actions. Okay, so how does this apply to us? This is our so what. The wrong way to take this is for us to say to one another, you and I must, must, must forgive. To sit with a a brother or sister who has been wronged, maybe seriously, maybe even painfully, and to exhort him or her that they must forgive or they will not be forgiven. It's not the point of the parable, and that doesn't really help. Because if the offense is remotely serious, then the response will be, I know I should forgive, I know I must forgive, but you have to see I can't. Isn't that right? I can't forgive this person, not after what they have done. I am so numbed and scarred by this hurt that I cannot forgive. And that will be the end of the story. And there will be some that we know who have been deeply hurt, deeply wounded, possibly by a fellow Christian, possibly in a marriage, with all of these deep, hidden, buried pains. Maybe with relationships with a parent or a child, scars from childhood. And we cannot and will not forgive those wounds. It is not the offense that breaks the fellowship, but the forgiveness that is withheld. So often, this is true in a marriage, that one spouse in a marriage will commit some offense. What finally breaks the marriage, often it is when that person repents and the other will not accept their repentance. That's what does it in. And that's it. And there will be no forgiveness. And I have seen it happen. We can exhort all day long, there will be no forgiveness in human society for serious debts unless and until we grasp the point of this parable. The point of this parable is that if we are to forgive, we need to have brought home to our own hearts by the Holy Spirit the fact that no matter how deeply you and I may be the victim, 
In the sight of God, we are the offender a thousand times more. And that no one can offend us or hurt us as much as we have offended God. No one can inflict on us anything approaching the pain that we have inflicted on God. That is the point of this parable. And our problem is not that we cannot conjure within our spirits forgiveness for a hundred denarii. Our problem is that we do not really believe that we have been forgiven 10,000 talents. It's only when we begin to understand that will the gates of forgiveness be unlocked from us to others. And so this morning I want to preach to you and to myself the enormity of our debt to the king of the universe. I want us to understand it. I want us to feel it. And it could be that some of you here are saying, mate, you don't understand. I am the victim. I have been hurt. I have been offended against. And it's very hard to forgive. And it may be that your mind is filled with those thoughts. How painfully you have been wronged. And what I want to say may come across as hard or cruel, but in reality is actually the love strategy of Jesus. I want to show you that you are a much bigger offender than you could ever be a victim. You are a Christian. God has forgiven you in Christ. You have heard it said that at the cross, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe that you and I might be freed from a debt that we could not pay. I want us to think about the debt we could not pay. The God who made this world has given you, has given us everything. I wonder if we fully understand that, if we actually spend time and think about that. Every breath you breathe is a gift. Every beat of your heart is a gift. What you eat, what you drink is his gift. The clothes you wear are his gift. The talents you have are his gift. The roof over your head is his gift. Every human being who has ever loved or cared for you is his gift. Every moment of pleasure or comfort or joy is his gift. But in your nature, you throw these gifts in his face. Let me ask you, do you by nature respond with thanks and praise for His goodness? Is your natural response to sing endlessly of the wonders of His love, to seek His face, to want to walk in His ways every moment of every day, to love Him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength? Is it? Do you do that? And is your instinct, your nature to take the good things He gives you, your money, your time, your energy, and to use them for the benefit of your neighbor, your fellow human being, without end? Do you love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself? Is this an impossible standard? You might say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I I live a respectable life. I'm not perfect, I know that. But then neither is anyone else. The point is this. It is an outrage that I who owe my everything to the goodness of God, do not in every moment of my existence, with every ounce of my strength, love him. And for his sake, love my neighbor as myself. 
It is an outrage. And God has forgiven me that outrage in Christ. And if you are a Christian, then you have fallen on your knees before this king and pleaded for mercy and pled for patience, for grace, just as the servant did. And he has forgiven us this whole astronomical, unpayable, enormous, unpayable debt. Because Jesus paid it all at the cross. And what I need to understand that no matter how big the debt my brother or sister owes me, however deep the wounds may be, the debt I have been forgiven is many times greater. The wounds inflicted on Jesus are infinitely deeper. This is why the, the key to forgiveness in human society is the preaching of sin and grace. It's why the most loving thing we can do in our churches is to preach sin and grace and the cross. Because it is only as these truths are pressed home often and to my heart will I be able to forgive you and you to forgive me. C.S. Lewis once wrote, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So as church fellowship, we are called to be communities of grace. The only reason a man or woman would be excused from the fellowship is if they reject grace. The man who's excommunicated in verses 15 to 20, he's not excommunicated because of his moral failure. He's not put out of the fellowship because he's done something wrong. He's put out of the fellowship because he refuses repeatedly offered forgiveness. Now, when an outsider comes into a church... Where the gospel is preached, he or she will be amazed, not by our self-righteousness, not even by our good morality. They will be amazed by our grace and forgiveness. And they will recognize when they come into a church fellowship that they have come in from the world of Lamech with his 77 times retaliation to the world of Jesus, which is 77 times forgiveness. And when that happens, and they see that, they will recognize that they have entered a completely different environment, because that is not how the world operates. My prayer is that this would be true of our church, that people would not come into our church fellowship thinking, here are a bunch of stuck-up, closed-off people. Uh, This is exactly what I was looking for, Uh, but rather that they will see in us a character of forgiveness that the world cannot match. They'll see the way Christians relate to one another, that, that we have been forgiven an unpayable debt. Then the floodgates of grace begin to be opened through us to others. That describes the church of Christ. What better way to be recognized, forgiven and forgiving? And I'm going to close with uh, two illustrations. The first took place in June of 2015, where a crazy, racist 21-year-old walked into a black church in Charleston, South Carolina, and sat down for what was Bible study and prayer, uh, and he shot nine of the uh, participants of that Bible study prayer time. And I watched as member after member of family stood up in this young man's court trial and pled with him to ask Christ into his heart 
and told him that they forgave him. They recognized that he was blinded to truth and that he was being used as an enemy of Satan. And they pled with him to receive Christ. That is forgiveness, an unpayable debt. Now let me finish with the flip side of this. There's a a story a friend of mine tells when he was visiting Scotland in the 90s, uh, visiting St. Andrews. He came to an old church. It was John Knox's old church where Knox used to preach. And as my friend walked in, he asked his colleague, how many people worshipped in that building? And his colleague smiled and, and, and sadly told him, why don't you guess? 500? And it was a large church by Scottish standards. Oh, try again. 200? If you come here at 11 a.m. next Sunday, you will find six people in the pews. Six elderly ladies. And then he proceeded to tell the story behind it. 20 years ago, the minister uh, and the organist had a huge fight. Both held grudges against the other. Both held forgiveness back. And since that time, neither one had spoken a word to the other. On Sunday morning, uh, the minister arrives early. He places a list of hymns on the organ. The organist plays them. uh, And then he leaves out a different door. And in 20 years... Nobody new has joined the church, and slowly the existing congregation has died off. What an utter disaster. Praise God that we have been forgiven 10,000 talents in Christ, that we may be able to forgive one another. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people to find us. And perhaps next episode, we will mention you on the show. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.